Well, good morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you, uh, everybody, for leading us in worship this morning. Appreciate that very much. Ran across a fun little website this past week. There's an app for it as well. You may or may not be familiar with it. It's called Little Hoots, H-O-O-T-S. They've got a little owl as their, their little emoji icon or whatever uh, you might want to say. But uh, it's an interesting little place. Uh, it's a place to record the story of your child's life one funny saying or memorable moment at a time. So you just, you know, how it is as a parent, you go out there and you log those things in and they collect over time and you've got all this, uh, all this story there. there are lots of funny quotes from children that show up on the site they've made public because, of course, people are recording them there. And I thought I'd share a couple of them with you this morning because they're, they're sort of entertaining. Uh, the first one that I want to show you is from a little boy named Royal. His name is, he's four years old, and he says to his mom, are we taking the stairs or the alligator? <laughs> Which, you know, you kind of know how that happens from a language standpoint. Mikey, who's age three, explained to his parents this. He said, I just can't pick up my toys because my arms are taking a nap. <laughs> and I thought that uh, that was quite, uh, quite insightful there. Quincy, age six, Lost a tooth, asked his parents before bed this question. Does the tooth fairy work on Mondays? <laughs> Pretty good thought. Gabriel, age four, recently exclaimed this. I thought this was great. Ow, my eye. I didn't know where my hand was going. I thought it wanted to rest behind my head, but that it wanted to poke me in the eye. <laughs> I was thinking that happens at age four, and it starts happening at age 84, too. I think, you know, your hands go places you don't want them to go sometimes. So, Greta, age four, told her mom this. You should never text and drive. I don't do that. Because I don't have a car, and I don't have a phone. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, that's probably true. That'll, that'll probably change. Sophia, age three, recently said this. Mommy, I'm not joking, I'm not kidding, and I'm not playing. I need chocolate. <laughs> if you want to see more, they're out there. It's a pretty fascinating little place. Little Hoots is the name of the site. But aren't those cute? I mean, children just have a level of innocence and unpretentiousness, uh, just honesty and perspective that as we get older, we sort of lose. I think that's why God has such a soft spot in his heart for kids, at least one of the many reasons why he has a soft spot in his heart. In fact, when you read scripture, what you find is that Jesus tells us that every one of us needs to become more like little children, especially spiritually. What we need to do, he tells us repeatedly. From, from God's perspective, children grasp the essence of true greatness, the essence of humility, the essence of God's nature. And we do well to look at him and at life through their eyes rather than just try to grow them up all the time to look at the world through ours. Maybe our grown-up eyes could benefit from seeing through theirs. If you have your Bible with me this morning, I want to invite you to open it to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to listen to some of what Jesus has to say about this this morning. Uh, I thought it was appropriate. Uh, this week is our, uh, VBS, Vacation Bible School. If you couldn't tell already, starting to look around the auditorium, the rest of the building is in the process of, of change over transformation into uh, a, a children's wonderland for the week. So that's always fun. And I learned that this last Friday was International Children's Day. I did not know. Uh, it was 
It's in China and a lot of other places that's celebrated, and we here in America are just sort of in our little bubble, so we didn't know. But last Friday was International Children's Day, so uh, on multiple levels, this is relevant. So uh, open your Bibles. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to listen to some of what Jesus has to say here. This is a, a, a wonderful passage of Scripture and worthy of our memory. This is what Scriptures say. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called a little child to him and put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. Because if you cause one of these little ones who trusted me to fall into sin... It would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal life with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter life, eternal life, with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down upon any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Now, before we start applying all of this to us, I think it's appropriate that we take a few moments just to look through the text rather carefully and think through some of Jesus' words here. It, it all begins with a question. If you notice in verse 1, it just, the question is asked, who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This was the preoccupation of the disciples most of, most of their time wandering with Jesus uh, all over the countryside. They were wondering, who is the greatest? Uh, and they were preoccupied. The greatness in their mind was all about prestige and importance, who, who got to go first, who, who was the priority person, who was the most popular with the crowds. This, these were all things that were floating in their minds when they thought of what it meant to be great. So Jesus wanted to, to break that cycle of thinking in their minds. And so he, if you follow him through the New Testament, he tries to find ways to redirect their thinking and reshape their, their orientation about this. And on one occasion, Jesus used servanthood and slavery as a metaphor, as a parable to try to help them understand greatness in the kingdom of God. You can go to Matthew 10 and read about that. And he just says to them, you know, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, whoever wants to be the greatest must be what? Servant. The slave, even, he says, of all. He says this in a time when he understood and grasped slavery better than we do. And he's just saying, if you want to be the greatest, be the least. Be the servant of all. He went on to say, you know, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. He was, he was being a servant, a slave of all is what he was saying. Great, great teaching on Jesus' part went right over the disciples' head, just like it does ours sometimes. Just completely missed it. 
So Jesus, in this instance, picks a different metaphor, a different parable, and he stuns his disciples when he calls before them a child, and he says to them, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now think about the implications of what he's saying. Unless you become like little children... You'll never even get in. You won't have to worry about who's the greatest because you won't even be there. This is what he's saying. It was a shocking statement to his disciples and to us if we think deeply about it. What is it about little children that Jesus finds so pleasing, so endearing, so great of such worth he tells us in verse 4, he says, Anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, little children hold within themselves the key to entering the kingdom of heaven as well as being great in the kingdom of heaven. And what is it? that is so great about humility from God's perspective. When you and I pause to think about it, I mean, only the humble ask for help. Only the humble learn from others. Only the humble are willing to change, to turn from sin. Only the humble seek God even though they're flawed. Only the humble will look up, will look beyond the realities of my immediate surrounding and believe that maybe God in heaven could teach me something that I need to know. And Jesus further stuns his listeners by adding, verse 5, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. It's important we think about that because greeting and welcoming and receiving a child on Jesus' behalf is somehow mystically welcoming and receiving, greeting Jesus. He experiences it first person. That ought to be good news on one level and perhaps sometimes the way we've treated children, every one of us has our moments. It ought to be its own warning, too. I think that's part of why Jesus shifts a little bit tone in the text at this point. Because for anyone who's inclined to disbelieve Jesus, to minimize the importance of children, to, to think carelessly about His presence with them and their importance in His eyes... He goes on in verse 6, he says, If any of you, if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, and we, I mean, do you see the tone that he's changing to here? We like to think of Jesus as tender, sweet, gentle, passive, passively forgiving. Here he changed tone. He says, If any of you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you 
to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. It's pretty blunt, pretty direct, pretty graphic. It loses some impact in our generation because we're not really familiar with millstones. Here's an example of the kind of millstone that was in use in Jesus' day in ancient Nazareth. I've got a picture of it here. Uh, this is one kind of millstone anyway. You, they would, in fact, this is from the Nazareth village in Israel, this picture. And uh, some of us will be there this fall. This fall. But you, you go to this place and they've got this, they would take a giant millstone and it would, they would hook a donkey to it like this and run in a circle and it would crush the olives and it would press the oil out of the olives and it would flow out of this. And this is one of the ways that they would go about uh, making olive oil out of olives in ancient times. And so this, is, this was literally the way it was done in the time of Jesus. Now, what's interesting to me is if you notice, leave the picture up there for a second. Uh, the, if you notice, he says here, it would be better for you to have a large millstone. Let me just point out, this is not the large millstone. Okay, The large millstone was used when you made bread. It was, it was you know... Many times larger diameter, particularly if you were, had a commercial operation, weren't just you know, like in your own little home uh, doing it on a small, uh, they, they would have a, a, a big millstone and you would have maybe an animal or two and it would spin and it would, it would just crush the, the, the grain into flour and there were little grooves in it and it would work its way out as long as it was dry um, and then be collected and make bread. That was the large millstone. This, this wasn't good enough, this millstone, for the person who'd led one of the little ones into sin. This was the large millstone. It's what they had that would be better for them. You see, you see, you see what Jesus is doing here? It sounds extreme a little bit, doesn't it? Unless you understand what a big deal children are to God. He goes on, because this isn't extreme enough. He keeps going. Verse 7, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. Better to enter eternal life with only one hand or foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. Do you see what he's saying? He's, he's not just talking about millstones now thrown into the depths of the sea. He's transitioned to eternal fire is what he's doing here. He goes on, verse 10, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Do you understand what he's saying there? He's not speaking about... He, this is a threat. He's saying, if you mess around with all my little children, there are angels standing in the presence of God, both to defend them and to deal with you. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not like weak, emaciated, mealy-mouthed Jesus. This is Jesus who has a little bit of an attitude here. 
who's just saying children are a big, big deal to the Father. They need to be a big, big deal to you and me. And whatever you do, don't lead them into sin. Don't lead them into sin. And the intensity of his tone is so obvious because then he changes tone in verse 12. It's like he kind of smacks himself a little bit, so to speak, and kind of says, okay, well, that's right. I'm speaking to the choir. They're a teachable audience. They're, they're, they're interested in what I'm saying. And he goes on and says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go to search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he'll rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away in the same way. It is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. You know, sometimes we pray and we pray, oh God, would you heal this person? Would you do this thing? And, and we know God can heal. We just don't know what his will is in a given instance. You know how that is? And so sometimes we pray, Father, heal this person. But if it's not your will, you know how we, that's how we pray sometimes. Jesus is clarifying for us here that you never have to be in the fog about God's will for a little child. Never have to pray that way with, you know, for them. It is always God's will that one of these little ones would not perish. Always his will, no ambiguity, no confusion, no disclaimers needed. It is always the Father's will that they flourish, they grow in faith, they grow in holiness and righteousness and love for him and love for others. God has a no child left behind policy, you might say. He wants his followers to embrace it as well. And that's because children are important to God, and every one of us needs to increasingly become more like them, at least on a spiritual level. So with all of that in mind today, here's, here are five questions that I think Jesus would want you and me to wrestle with as we think about this particular passage of Scripture. Five questions. First question, are you and I pursuing true greatness? Is that the pursuit of our lives? Or are we drank the Kool-Aid with the disciples and looking to be important, self-important, looking to be rich and wealthy, looking to have prestige and importance and notoriety among men? What is our definition of greatness? Is it childlike enough? Have you and I humbled ourselves like a little child before God and before others where there's just not a lot of pretension. There's just not a whole lot of lying and deceiving and shady stuff going on where we just, just who I am before God and you. Is that you? Is that me? Are we pursuing true greatness Question number two, are you and I still learning? You know, psychologists have made the observation that children ask roughly 125 questions a day 
Guess how many questions a day adults ask on average? Six. Six questions. Somewhere between childhood and adulthood, we lose 119 questions a day on average. What's going on? We come to the conclusion that we know it all. That's what's happened. I am smart, and everybody else around me is stupid, and I just, you know, I got six questions, and frankly, some of us don't have six questions. Some of us have got a, th th those 119 questions become 119 opinions of everything that I think is brilliant and insightful. And here's what Jesus would say, unless you and I become more like little children, we won't even get into the kingdom of heaven because guess what? God is a lot smarter than us. So is everybody around us. A lot smarter. You are smarter than I give you credit for sometimes. And I am smarter than you give me credit for sometimes. Are you still learning? Still searching? Still searching for insight in our world? Just think of all the curious questions that children ask. And are you still searching this book? Question number three. How is your viewpoint of children? Are they a bother to you? Or are they a blessing? Are they a nuisance? Are they somebody that you can get down on your knee and learn from? That's a good question for some of us. So we would do well to just be a student of life through their eyes, some of us. Be a good spiritual discipline practice for some of us to just decide, you know, I'm going to spend the next blank period of time learning from children rather than viewing them as a nuisance. Question number four, what kind of example are you setting with your life for the children who surround you? Specifically, what are you doing with regard to alcohol in the presence of the children in your sphere of influence? What are you doing with that? It can really mess up a lot of people's lives. Not every kid responds the same way to it. What are you doing? What, do you, what, what example are you setting with regard to that? What, what example are you setting with your entertainment choices, the children in your life? What example are you setting with sexuality in the lives of the children that are a part of your sphere of influence? What are you teaching with your vocabulary? I could go on, but I think you get the idea. What, what is your life example training the children around you to do? What are you validating by your example that it's okay? And you say, well, this is just our culture. Yeah, it is. Doesn't mean that you and I have to condone everything that's in our culture. I mean, we either live for Jesus as Lord or we're living for the world. Which, are, which does your example reflect? Doesn't mean... Being godly is, is not about just being weird. It is about adopting Jesus' way of life from a character standpoint 
regardless of what anybody else says or thinks or approves of or disapproves of. It's living as Jesus would live if he was in my place, in my home, in my workplace, in my neighborhood, on my sports team. Are you doing that? Because when you and I start doing that, guess what? We, by default, we clean up the example issue with everybody around us, not just the kids in our lives, but the spiritually young in our lives as well. What kind of example are you setting with your life? Fifth question, in light of Matthew 18 and Jesus' view of children and the Father's will with regard to them, are there any wandering children in your sphere of influence? And if there are, are you reaching out to them? Are you assisting in their rescue? You added them to your prayer list. What are you doing about that? Because it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish, Jesus says. And if Jesus would dispatch angels to defend one of them, don't you think that he would dispatch angels to rescue one of them? And you be a part of that? It's his will. There's absolutely no fog in whether or not that's his will. As I said earlier, this week is VBS, and uh, I just want to encourage you, pray for our VBS. I can assure you, the Spirit of the Lord will be here all week long. He might skip this service, but he'll show up for VBS. I mean, he will show up for VBS. He will show up in the children's ministry. He will show up in Wildwood's preschool. He will show up everywhere children go because they're not jaded and messed up like you and me yet. Okay? He will show up there. My encouragement to you is maybe this week sometime you ought to show up. Some of us, it would do us well to stop by to be reminded of what childlike faith looks like again. It would remind us of that and perhaps coach us in the way that we should go, in ways that God would completely approve of. The other thing I'd add is that uh, as you kind of look around maybe this week and watch the childlike faith of all the kids that will be around here, embrace their faith. Embrace it. It's the essence of what it means to be spiritual. It's the essence of what it means to know God. It's the key to entering heaven and becoming great in the eyes of the only one before whom it matters, and that's God himself. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer and um, just invite you to let us know if you need prayer for anything. We're going to pray, after we pray publicly here, but there'll be some of us hanging around here afterwards. If you need prayer specifically for some area in your life, Maybe you've got a, a child in your life that's kind of off the rails and wandering out there. You'd like someone to pray with you about that. I can do that. There are others of us down here who will be able to do that. We want to pray with you about those things. Maybe you're the child who's been off the rails, you know, and the Holy Spirit this morning is calling you back. If that's you, uh, 
Will you just humble yourself? Just ask him to forgive you, help you to choose his path. Ask him for help. That's what humility does when it shows up inside of a person. Ask for help. And God will meet you. He'll dispatch an angel to intervene in your situation. Let's bow our heads and pray. And then if you've got something you'd like to pray about, come on down afterwards. Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person here. Thank you for every child. We may be grown up, be 40, 50, 70 years old, but the fact is we all remember what it's like to be a child. And we're still children when our spirit often... Our bodies don't function as well as they once did for some of us, but the fact is we're still the same person in our soul. It's not your will that any of us would perish. You're calling us to you in your ways this morning. We just humble ourselves before you. We thank you that you're merciful toward us. Thank you that your mercies are new every day, that today your mercies are fresh and new and available for me, for every one of us. We cling to that, and we ask, God, that you'd help us to embrace that mercy and choose to walk in it and live it out this week. Pray that you'd help us to extend that mercy to the people around us, particularly the children. May they be as important to us as they are to you. Father, would you help us to walk in your ways that our example, that our lives might point them to you naturally. Both with and without words, they'll be led to you. That's what, I know that's your dream. Help each of us to live that out. And now, fathers, we leave this place. Would you go with us? Would you bless VBS this week? Would you pour out your spirit here? Would you greet the children? Would you empower the teachers and the volunteers? Would you help them to be successful in all the things that they do to introduce you well? And, and I pray that kids will not just know about you, but they'll have an encounter with you, an experience with you, and that they will learn that you are real, that you care about them more than you cared about your own life. And that you're calling them to choose your way. Would you help them to do that? Now, would you go with us, Father? We lift this prayer in the mighty and powerful, loving, protecting name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. 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 Bless you all.